the Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Hello, everybody, and a happy Monday to you, May 11th, 2020. Audrey Salves and Eric Franson on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, and 106.9thefan.com. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you've had a stellar weekend, Eric. How was your weekend? It was good. What was? Uh, what was? It was good. Okay, why? You got some yard projects done. Oh yeah, got to put those little uh, dwarfs or whatever into the uh, garden. <laughs> uh, we didn't have any garden gnomes, but we did plant some shrubbery. Oh, is that what they're called? Yeah, garden gnomes. Gnomes, yeah, not dwarfs. Gnomes. Yes. Gnomes. I mean, it's a, they're kindred spirits <laughs> to you anyway, but <laughs> but. Uh, no, we did some of that. Uh, um, you know, did some uh, Mother's Day shopping. A lot of people out and about. You could tell uh, a lot of people are anxious to get out and do some things because they've been pent up and indoors for a long time. Uh, and you know what's been fun? We've uh, we hooked up our um, we got a little projector and we just put it on the uh, the back the the wall in our backyard. Yeah, outside. Bring out some like love sacks and blankets and watch an outdoor movie. Started doing that again. That was fun. So, I feel bad because we never really wished our moms happy birthday or the woman in our lives. Happy, or not happy birthday. Happy Mother's Day, you happy mean? Happy Mother's Day. See, yeah. dude, it's, I've been in the sun too long. Um, And I was sitting there. I was like, man, I probably feel like jerks. Like, I didn't even like wish my mom a happy Mother's Day on Friday. But I did get her a really cool gift. So, I got her a record player. Oh, really? Yep. Does she have some vinyl? I so she used to like thirty records. Uh, she doesn't anymore. I found out yesterday. So <laughs> this is great. I have that, nothing to play on it. That backfire. Yeah, she's like, well, thank you. I don't have any records, but I'm like, where are your records? You know, she had gave them all away or whatever because she didn't have a record, and so and to go find some. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it compliment the gift. It was 2020, not 1985, so <laughs> they were all gone. So I was like, well, crap. So now I got to go buy some records for my mom. Now I feel really bad. Or I could just get it for my dad's birthday and give it to my mom. There you go. That works too. Yeah, kill two birds with that one stone. That was fun to have the Mother's Day, and got a, we got a chance to to celebrate moms and and our family. That was fun. So okay. a happy late Mother's Day to all you moms, grandmas, sisters, future moms of any sort. Dog moms. Dog mom. What the f- hell? Okay. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Happy cat moms. Cat moms. Tiger yeah. moms. <laughs> Cougar moms. <laughs> All right, yeah, if uh, any mom of any nature, of any species, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> hey, uh, Erica, big news coming from the MLB, but there might they might need to tamper the excitement just a little bit. Uh, owners have uh, approved an MLB season proposal plan for July start as player union, uh, the players' union uh, will get ready to weigh in with their thoughts. Now, uh, Sean Doolittle, who is a closer for, I believe, the Washington Nationals still, uh, is not thrilled about the idea uh, of uh, starting right now. There's worry that this might be but too much too soon, which is interesting because, Eric, everywhere you turn on the TV, it's people thinking, oh, we're overreacting. We're doing too much to avoid the virus like oh my gosh but then you have players eric major league or professional athletes who are saying i'm not ready to go out and do this just quite yet 
Yeah, that's true. Um, Chris Ianetta, he is the Major League Baseball Players Association executive board member. And uh, there's this whole thing about risk that they that he's talking about. If if players resume play, but it's not safe for fans to be in the stands, then these players are taking a risk, and their support staff, and their coaches, and their managers are all. He keeps saying it's a, there's a risk. He says if there's no fans in the stands, there is an intrinsic risk that players are going to undertake. There's an intrinsic risk that support staff and coaches are going to undertake. And we should be, and we should get fairly compensated for taking that risk for the betterment of the game, and the betterment of the owners who stand to make a huge profit off the game. That's exactly where we're about to lead into. Buster only of ESPN. Go ahead. They have the financial issues. The owners have indicated they want financial rollbacks, salary rollbacks, and the players are saying no. Uh, Union chief uh, Tony Clark has said the negotiations on that are over. And then Jeff Passan of MLB Network adds on that this is not going to be a pretty situation. I wish I weren't saying this. It could get really ugly. And and there could be a fight on their hands here. Because I think what the Players Association is looking at, and understandably so, is that the players are going to be the ones going back out there. The players are going to be the ones who are taking the risks by going back to work. And already they've agreed in a March agreement to take a prorated share of their salary this season. They don't want to take a cut on top of a cut. And yet Major League Baseball saying, now hold on a second, we're losing all of our revenue from ticket sales and that accounts for about 40% of what we bring in every year, you need to share in that. And and what the players are saying back to them is, hey, when you guys make more money, you don't give us more money. Why should we share in the losses along with you? <laughs> Those are fighting words. Uh, By Eric, the way, was somebody mowing their lawn in the background Yeah, there? dude, like, what in the world? Like, were you filming this from your own house? Okay, that's not, okay, yeah, you probably well, were filming Probably. I mean, but still, will you tell your son to turn off the lawnmower? Uh, Eric, what side of the grass do you stand on here? I mean, players do need to be compensated for playing at such a risky tenure of COVID-19, but the owners are the ones that are making the stadiums and the ballparks available for the players to play, and where do you stand here? It, well, it's such a tricky situation, and honestly, I don't know that I can say I'm on one side or the other, because I, I see it from both sides. At the end of the day, I, I think, um, you know, on the on the players' side, they're saying, "Look, it's it's not safety is not guaranteed, and that needs to be something considered. And if it's not, we're taking a risk, not just for us, but the people that we come home to." Um. The, the, the managers, the umpires, the other support staff, they're taking risks. And the risks, not just for them personally, but those whom they come home to. Um, and, and so I, I get that concern. Um, the, the fact that, you know, if a, if a franchise makes more money, they don't share in the, in the profits. So if they lose money, then the players shouldn't share in the deficits. But at the same time, if you're an owner... Um, it's not like I, I think there's this sometimes there's a view that these owners are just, you know, Scrooge McDuck. You know, they got this big giant warehouse that's just full of money that these guys just go swimming in every day. And while yes, they are wealthy individuals, you have to be to own a franchise, there's a lot of money that goes into running them and, and keeping it afloat and keeping people paid. 
uh, covering insurance and keeping the lights on. So I, I get it that there's there's some consideration that needs to be thought about. Maybe not to the same degree. I, I think they could they could take a haircut and still be okay. But um, uh, Ajay, this is is such a tricky situation. These are totally uncharted territory. Uh, these are situations that nobody's ever been in before. And to try to figure out how to make it right and equitable, I don't know how you do it. Somebody, You have to make a decision somehow, and somebody's going to be upset. Interesting that you say that, actually. Sean Doolittle, who's a relief pitcher for the defending champions, Washington Nationals, he goes on this tweet thread that's so long, I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to point out some important parts, according from a player's standpoint of the view, and what they are looking for in this proposal plan. Here we go. Quote, bear with me, but it feels like we've zoomed past the most important aspect of any MLB restart plan. Health protections for players, family, staff, stadium workers, and the workforce that we require to resume a season. Here are some things I'll be looking for in the proposal plan. One, because this is a novel virus, there is still so much we don't know, including the long-term effects. On top of respiratory issues, there has been evidence of kidney, intestinal, and liver damage, as well as, neuro- as, well as neurological malfunctions, blood clots, and strokes. Uh, he continues, COVID-19 patients often develop lung scarring or ground glass capacities, uh, or excuse me, opacities. Uh, these were found even in asymptomatic patients, and because the virus often affects both lungs, it can cause permanent damage. In some cases, definitely a concern for an athlete. He continues, uh, we've learned that you release the most virus into your environment prior to symptoms even showing. So how frequently will we be testing to stay ahead of potential spread and to mitigate as much risk as possible? And then finally, uh, so how many tests do we need to safely play during a pandemic? And not just tests for players. Baseball requires a massive workforce besides the players, coaches, and clubhouse staff. Security, grounds crew, umpires, game day staff, TV, and media. We need to protect everyone. We need to consider what level of risk we are willing to assume. 80% of cases are considered mild, but what if a player, a staff member, an auxiliary worker, or a family member gets a case that's in 20%, that's in the 20%, and they develop severe symptoms or chronic issues? One feels like too many. Finally, there are a number of players and staff who have pre-existing conditions that they are aware of and likely more who aren't yet. We need a plan that seriously considers the increased health concerns of any players, staff, or workers who are at higher risk. Eric, this thread of tweets I've just read is what many other players, including Mike Trout of the Los Angeles of Anaheim Angels, have shared and concerned about coming back to play baseball, that there's still too much of a risk. What do you do about high-profile players like a reliever like Sean Doolittle or a great player, MVP candidate like Mike Trout, saying, I'm not sure if I want to play? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, It's really tough. I think that unless – really, honestly, I think that Major League Baseball, if they want hope of having a season, they'll need to look at what the NBA is doing, find a neutral site, because some of these guys are concerned. Like, we're still going to have to travel – to go to game to game and arena to arena, we're really uh, opening ourselves up here to get these this disease and get this virus, and that's uh, it could be could be pretty bad. And they rec- you know they recognize they're young, they're healthy, most of them uh, could fight off something like this, but uh, as you just detailed, there's some evidence that it can affect other things and, and can still have some some damaging results. So. If Major League Baseball can't get their most uh, powerful or most popular voices behind what they want to do, 
It's going to be ugly, and I don't know that you can even have a season. There is a conference call, and here's Jeff Hassan on that MLB conference call. What's expected to come out of it is going to be potentially controversial, inevitably going to change the course of baseball because it is going to be the plan, or at least the framework of a plan, for baseball to come back. And out of all the teams that are affected the most, Eric, plug your Chicago ears. Cubs. Watch the Chicago Cubs. What you're hearing is they are having a financial crunch because ownership bought a lot of the land around Wrigley Field. Uh, they were hoping, of course, that people would go and use uh, some of the facilities they have there. They haven't been having income, uh, it, of course, in recent weeks like other teams, but they have a number of veterans on that team nearing uh, contract crossroads. For example, Chris Bryant, the third baseman. Other teams heard he was available during the course of the winter. If, in fact, the Cubs wind up having to move some money, then Chris Bryant would be one candidate. There's also the thought, Eric, and this is really, <laughs> uh, this is where things kind of get interesting, that if umpires are part of the concern for MLB baseball players, then how about this idea? Here is John Shea. I imagine that we're going to have those robo-umps the minute baseball starts. This is baseball's opportunity to implement that. And they can just say, hey, we need distancing. We don't need three guys cluttered up at home plate. And then more? Because they'll be so far down on the dispute list for players that they would just probably sign off on it, knowing that, what, are we just going to hold up uh, you know, baseball for a week or two to argue whether we're going to have real umpires behind the plate or or uh, uh, computerized umpires behind the plate? So here's the thing, is that there's a the thought of having two human umpires in the field, or three, excuse me, and then having one robotic umpire at the plate. The other thought process is to this is like, I mean, balls and strikes, right? If you turn around and yell at the robot, what are you going to do? Take a bat to it? Like, that, I mean, that's, I mean, so does it actually allow where the umpire, the robotic umpire says strike three, you turn around, you look at the robot, and you're like, it's, it's not even worth arguing with this thing. I'm just going to scream at it, but what is it going to do? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, I don't because I don't think there's really going to be a physical robot there. Um, I think it's all based on the, the angle of the camera, and you maybe just have some lights and a sound that tells you if a ball is. Is that going to work though? Like, I mean, do you trust that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, because there is certain an element of you know each each player has a little bit different body build and different stance, and maybe that changes what that that strike zone might look like but at the same time um boy, if you have the technology might they can well eliminate some human error yeah gotta look at it but what concerns me is what how does it uh judge a play at the plate oh what if the what if the catcher the way that he stands to block the plate or the way that the player coming through comes to it to see it is you know obscures the vision of the robotic ump the camera angle. I guess you have multiple angles, and sometimes those are reviewed anyway. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is the time. Just like the NBA, considering they, there's this proposal floated around about shifting the start time for the NBA, and this just provides time to make that happen, maybe this is the catalyst to finally get Major League Baseball to adopt robotic umps. Uh, 
I don't know, man. It's still kind of scary. Like you said, like a home, like a plate to plate. How quickly, I mean, and the question is how quickly do they respond? There's a lot of questions to it more than there is answers. If you have a home plate umpire there, it's it's there. I mean, there is human error, to, but that's sports. That's part of the game. That's just, that's how it is, and that's what makes it, I mean, it's raw and it's maybe frustrating, but that's the beauty of it as well. Having a robot there, I think, takes puts in more questions than it does answers. Well, here's the other thing about Major League Baseball. Uh, interesting study that was done by Major League Baseball and a couple other groups that came together, and they completed over 6,000 surveys of employees in, in 26 different baseball teams and their organizations. Um, 5,754 samples were obtained in the United States on April 14th and 15th. Um, there was a uh, 0.5% false positive rate, so pretty narrow, pretty slim false positive rate. In all of that, uh, and by the way, there was an organization in the state of Utah that participated in this. In all that, just 0.7% of Major League Baseball employees tested positive for antibodies. Mm. So, um, it's... It's a small number, but it is taken as somewhat of a positive news, though, that there's a, a, a decent number of people that have had it and didn't know they had it. And they've recovered from it. That's, so, I, I think that's the next, really, that's the next wave yeah. in all of this, is that more testing, especially to see if those if people have had it and they've already fought it, and are now immune to it. Because if I think that gives more people confidence knowing hey, there's a there's a larger population of us that have already gone through this, we didn't even realize it. And so I'm not at risk anymore. My family's not at risk anymore. And I think that gives them some sense of, of comfort and confidence. I and I uh, we we got to kind of put the brakes on it too. Like as, as excited as I get about the July start, we almost come back full circle to the fact of, as Buster only said, we are a long way. And he even mentioned top of the first inning in in a baseball metaphor aspect of it that we're still a long ways away from being to where we want to be in uh, in regards to hoping that it's season we get started. But again, that's we're still just over. I mean, just under two months away. So that gives them plenty of time. They got to work out this financial situation. It sounds like it's kind of where, really, that's where it is. Uh, is the biggest snag is is the uh, is the financial part of this whole deal. Well, yeah. From the players, their standpoint is, like, we're we're you're putting us at great risk. There's, uh. If the fans can't be there, then why why should we? Why should we? Yeah. Why should we? Um, the owners are saying, Look, we we'd love to have fans there because we get the ticket sales and the concessions and the other things, you know, the the other sponsorships that happen as a result of having fans in the stands. But the the while they may lose out on a lot on on the ticket sales and concessions, they still have the games on TV, and there's certain rights and revenue opportunities with TV games. So, and certainly radio is a part of that as well. But does it make up for not having fans in the stands? No, not even close. 
So does Major League Baseball say, okay, look, we're not going to have fans in the stands. We'll put the games on TV, and we're going to do something with that TV revenue. Well, we may, we may have to affect your pay in one way. We're going to help offset it if we get some revenue because of TV in another way. I don't uh, know. For, it's a really tricky situation. Former agent of uh, some great uh, ballplayers, Scott Boris, uh, says the owners already made a deal, and they have to live with it. Quote, we reached an agreement, and there will not be a rene- renegotiation of that agreement, end quote. And he urges players to reject the owner's latest proposal, which I think they were going to reject anyways with or without Scott Boris's approval. It's just, I mean, looking at that and the way they are talking, we, uh, we're going to go at, a, at an impasse that's going to collide as a huge explosion between the players and the MLB, in so much that, honestly, if it goes too far, it goes too long, they could say, you know what, Canada, we're no, no baseball for the year. Just, I mean, we're, I mean, we're at, look, it's 2020. You might as well just, I mean, expect anything and everything at this point because that's where we're at. <laughs> well, okay. So if, if, well, there's, we've been he- talking about this, hearing a lot of different organizations say we're going to be data driven, not date driven. But here's the Major League Baseball saying we're going to set a date. So I think that has some players concerned, some people concerned that follow it. Um, they want, they want it to be safe. They want to look at the data. Does it trend properly? Um, is it safe for these teams to gather and, and, and compete? But if they're not going to start till July 4th, I mean, half the season is already gone at that point. Yeah. That's a great point. You just say, okay, whatever was on your schedule, the all-star break, that's how we'll play it out. <laughs> I don't know. It's such uncharted territory. I don't right, think there's see. any way you have a full Major League Baseball season. Yeah, there, yeah, that's that's already come and gone. We're we're I mean we're past that point now. Um, yeah, there's... even if you find some, you, you you hold up in the Cactus League, uh, and uh, or the the Citrus League venues, and say, all right, this is where we're going to be for for a while. There's no travel, so time between games. You could do double headers. It's not going to be as taxing on your body. You could probably play more games in a shorter amount of time, but there's no way you're going to make up the full 162 games. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, coming back, the Utah Jazz are back in practice facility doing some voluntary workouts. We'll get into that. Uh, where the just its breaking news came out at just about as we were starting our show. Uh, we'll also get into some other NBA news uh, going on. See, speaking of contracts... In financial situation, the NBA is working through their own little contract negotiation situation, but it's where a loophole has been found and that the CBA actually just might be flawed. We'll explain what we're meaning here. Eric Frantz in there. I'm Audrey Salveson. You're listening to the Full Court Press, 106 on FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. It doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric France and Audrey South here on the Full Court Press, 106 on FM, 1390 AM, and 106thefan.com. Uh, NBA is uh, dipping their hands into uh, their situation uh, with the coronavirus, specifically the Utah Jazz, who now it's been reported, well, of course, from the Utah Jazz, that they have now uh, started 
voluntary workouts. Uh, they were allowed to return to practice facilities on a voluntary basis. Uh, that is all in accordance with the Utah Health Department and uh, the NBA regulations as well. Um, Eric, good news. That means that that's good news as a start. I know it's a small step, but that's a start in the right direction. Right. It allows players to get back into the building, get in their familiar confines of their practice facilities, get a chance to start putting some shots up, getting some work in, get their bodies back to how they need to be. They only allow a couple of people in at a time, so you have to kind of schedule it out. Um, But who knows what... Not everybody has a big fancy gym in their house like Mike Connolly does. Uh, Some guys didn't even have a hoop in their driveways. Some guys were trying to find a a, a church (laughs) or a a neighborhood where somebody might have had a hoop um, to put some shots up, but even that's not really the same quality. So this is a good first step in getting players kind of back into a an NBA mentality. But all that being said, Commissioner Adam Silver had that uh, conference call on Friday with the Players Association, basically a call to all the players. They were able to be on that with him. And uh, reports are that he... He was trying to be frank and honest with them. He didn't sugarcoat anything. No, he didn't. Oh, no. He said, look, this is this may be the biggest single challenge of our lifetime, basically, and saying that uh, uh, we're going to be in the billions of dollars lost it, so far. And a lot of discussions about, do you go to a single site venue to finish out the season? Uh, if you do that, are players going to be just stuck in hotel rooms the whole time? Uh, player safety? it's a lot of players there's there's players that are concerned just like in major league baseball that look if it's not safe for the fans to be there why is it safe for us so and there is report that there are two sites that they put the conferences in one would be in Las Vegas one would be at Disney World that's just a report that's a source and there's nothing solidified that that is what the decision is but again they're looking at i mean they just don't feel like it'd be really necessary to put these teams having these teams stay at home and then like just traveling teams left and right all over the country. That's one thing that Adam Silver wants to avoid. Uh, going back to the Utah Jazz workouts, uh, as you mentioned, Eric, um, that they are only four players are allowed to be in the facility at a time and that staffers uh, and uh, other, I guess, other members of the, other, I don't know how to prove it, but staffers must wear masks and gloves and group activities, including practices and scrimmages, are prohibited. Uh, and they said the biggest goal, according to uh, Dennis Lindsay, quote, the biggest goal that is to have co- the confidence of the players and the staff that they can enter our facility safely, end quote. Uh, but it's, again, it's just one small step. Uh, there's other options as they try to find ways to resume the season. The more we go on, the more I just think you go to the playoffs and get the season over with and you just restart anew, whether that's in December or November or October for this matter. I think you might be right. I think that the the longer this goes, the harder it is, the harder it will be to con- complete the regular season. But man, if I was one of those teams fighting for a playoff spot and I'm just on the outside and I had some momentum, or um, of course, home court advantage doesn't really mean anything anymore right now anyway. But if I was fighting for a better playoff position based on my opponent, um, that's you know disheartening. That's frustrating. But as Adam Silver told the players in his conference call, the ultimate issue 
is how much risk we're all comfortable taking. And do you want to play basketball? Do you want to find a solution that allows us to play basketball? Or are there other issues at hand that we still don't have enough solid foundation answers to, testing available and things like that, that we just call it a day? But I think there's immense pressure from a lot of different sides to to still try to have some kind of uh, basketball and, and conclusion to the 2019-2020 season. Now, speaking of... Uh... Speaking of the NBA, they've also had some, they've also put an extension on their CBA, which, by the way, was due for, I guess, renegotiation um, or some fixer upping or some spit shining, if you will. And they've decided to extend it, at least the deadline of it. And this is what it means, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. There's some time now, a few months for the union and the league, you know, to really go through and have a better sense of what the financial projections look like so they can take the salary cap for next season, luxury tax, and have a better sense of how they're going to adjust uh, the agreement that they have in the collective, uh, in the CBA. Yeah, if you have players on your, this is interesting, because if you have players on your roster with longer-term contracts, and you've got a lot of them locked up, suddenly the, the, that salary cap threshold drops. Yeah. Immensely. Suddenly you're on the hook for a lot more in luxury tax than you thought. Bingo. Maybe you thought, okay, we're managing this well. We're we're at the cap. We're just under it or maybe just a little bit above it, but we're right in that threshold where we'll be okay. We can handle this. And all of a sudden that level drops significantly. Ooh, man, you could be hit with a significant tax if if you already have these players under contract, it's not like you can move them or renegotiate their deals. Okay, so I, because that's about, to, I'm going to ask you a question. Because that just, affects what you try to do in free agency, like who you try to go get. Bingo. Okay, that's exactly where I was about to get to. That's a great lead in here. In a normal year, the, the NBA and the NBA Players Association, uh, they can calculate the new salary cap between the end of the NBA draft and the start of free agency. But this time, according to sources that told Woj, the, the league has heard that the urgency of teams to have those new cap and luxury tax figures before the draft because the potentially dramatic shift in figures will affect how teams approach deal-making at the draft. Here's my question for you. Does it kill teams who want to have big deals for those who are available for a max or super max contract? Does it affect them, and oh. how much? Oh, well, here's something else with, with Woj in his report on ESPN. He says... Uh, in the league, there could be 25 of its 30 teams trapped in this luxury tax that would, okay, that would explain it window wow. uh, based on projected payrolls. It says that could uh, basically freeze or, or paralyze free agency, as he puts it. Um, and so if you thought you were going to have, maybe you had an expiring contract, you had some players that you weren't going to resign, and you knew you had X number of dollars to play with to go fill out the rest of your roster or go make a play for a a significant player, suddenly that totally totally changes your philosophy. Sure does. And if you're you were a guy, yeah, coming out of into free agency and thought, hey, I have a chance for a max contract or even a super max, uh, man, a team's going to be real hesitant to sign you up. So that. yeah, so here's my question: like Giannis Antetokounmpo is available for a super max contract. I say super max, assuming he's going to make the All NBA first team again. So back to back years of doing so makes him available for a super max. If he's available in free agency, are teams like, you know what, we don't got the money, sorry, man. 
and he's in Milwaukee. That's nuts. Like, Anasad Dekubo is available, and nobody can sign him because of this huge, I mean, this COVID-19 just put dead weight onto so many teams and their bank that they can't expend that money that they had at one point that was available now turns into, well, it just gets crunched into this into this uh, luxury tax. That's, that's, that's robbery for teams financially. That sucks. And so according to, with that, the CBA contract, uh, here is Adrian Wojnarowski about how the CBA is actually flawed. Adam Silver told the players on Friday that the CBA, that, that it was not designed, this particular CBA certainly was not designed to endure a pandemic. And, and what, here's what the union doesn't want. They don't want free agency where there's no salary cap space at all. The teams don't want a, a salary cap that drops and puts, it would put as many as 25 of their teams into luxury tax. So they may have to artificially uh, negotiate some numbers that might play out over a few years of adjusting for this big economic hit this, uh, this season. Uh, and so there's a lot of collective bargaining that has to go on between the union and the league on a number of issues, and they pushed that back to September. How do you not – well, okay, I, I, I should be careful how I ask this, but when you're making a CBA contract, don't you put – okay, hey, by the way, in case in, – in, uh, for some strange reason, there's a pandemic because it's been said numerous times that Adam Silver is one of those guys who's been able to vision ahead, look ahead. As a David Stern could, but more so in the modern era, in a- modern era, Adam Silver could. Well, there a lot of they. Well, they do. They have what they call a force majeure. I don't know if I pronounce that properly. It's a French term. Um, but they they include those clauses for events like nine eleven, or you know, what if a Hurricane Katrina comes in and really messes up. New Orleans, and they have to relocate to Oklahoma City. So there's been some things that have happened in the NBA's history that are major events that can affect some aspects of the NBA game that are unplanned. You know, this is just a, an act of nature or whatever. And so there's a term, and it's and those and uh, it's a clause that's in there. But what he is illustrating is that nobody planned or thought had the foresight to see that it would be so prolonged that it could be something that could last as long as it's lasting and could continue to last. And so that's where this is so uncharted territory. Um, He's looking at, look, it's not just fans in the stands. uh, Well, you can get revenue from the TV and the radio of broadcasting these games, but having fans in the stands... He said that it makes up about 40% of the revenue. Wow. Because not just tickets, it's concessions, it's buying you know, the jersey, it's, it's buying the hat, it's buying the souvenir mug, um, the uh, inns arena, different promotions that happen. That's, that's 40%. The other thing to re- remember, a lot of these owners uh, are also losing out on the concerts that happen in those venues. That's, that's a good point. The monster truck rally that happens in those venues. Yeah. The motocross or whatever. Disney on ice at Vivian's Roman Arena pays big money to do yeah. this thing there. So all of those event, all those events are cooked, and so the the owners and the managers of those arenas, who usually are the same people who own the teams, they're feeling that crunch as well. It's not just you know missing out on the games. So who is impacted more financially through the COVID nineteen, baseball or basketball? 
Well, that's a good question because basketball had, what, 75%, 80% of its season? More than 75%, more like 80 yeah. uh, uh, percent of its season done in the books. Baseball hasn't had to, been able to play one single game. And it could have half of its entire season wiped out before it even sees a game played. And that's still in question. So, so I don't think the financial impacts facing baseball are to come. NBA is, is looking at it right now because um, they should be wrapping things up and gearing up to the biggest. But uh, it's the biggest moneymaker coming up. Moneymaker, part of the playoffs. You know, Ticket sales are more. Uh, concessions are more. TV ratings are more. Uh, but yeah, it's but baseball they haven't they haven't done anything yet. Okay, so let me and I know this sounds like a no brainer question, like a duh thing, but I ask that sincerely because I'm kind of curious by how much it's affected by who's affected more NBA in the playoffs or baseball for half a season or baseball not having half a season with no fans. Well. Uh, Boy, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess the, the what's, because the TV revenue for NBA is monstrous. I it's mean, big. loaded, and like you said, concessions, fans, tickets, sellouts, all are a part of the income that 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 organization receives. You get none of that now because you get no fans, so you have no concessions because it's not necessary. Now TV's still there, but I just I, I can only imagine the punch in the gut it is for the NBA not to have that. And that's probably why the CBAs came up and why players are panicking just a tad bit because they feel like there's a loophole that the NBA or owners are going to find that allows them to not have to pay the players for X amount of dollars or X for not playing for X amount of games. Which is, And for some players, they have that incentive in the contract that, for example, Mike Conley, that if he, if he plays X amount of games, he gets 30-something freaking million dollars. And he's only, I think, eight, nine, ten shy right now. So if they go to the playoffs and they're swept in four games, well, then he doesn't get that. He doesn't get that bonus, which is just unreal. Yeah, uh, certainly it is a heightened time for the NBA, NHL, the same. Uh, Major League Baseball just getting started, but uh, I think what's concerning the most is that Major League Baseball still doesn't even know. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, yes, they've come out today and said, "All right, we're shooting for this. This is a date. We're we're going to be date driven here. We're bucking the trend instead of being data driven. We're going to be date driven. We're gonna we're we're throwing it out there. We're going to try to start on July fourth. But there's still a lot of concern that that still might not happen, and that it could be stretched on even further, and more games get missed." More uh, opportunities to sell tickets go out the window. Wow. So I think just the uncertainty in Major League Baseball is um, concerning to me I just because they haven't been able to do anything. At least the NBA had a wide majority of their season already in the books. I think what... So many people forget with all this going on, and we've talked about it at nauseum now, is the financial impact it has. I still feel like college football takes the biggest kick in the groin out of all of them if there is no fans, which right now is what we're staring at. No fans to start the season, whether it's non-conference in play or not. No fans at the games. It's just going to be such a hurt 
on so many universities, small and even power five schools, that I don't know if they can recover. That they can actually get out of there without making budget cuts and and taking out other sports. That's oh, what's scary. Yeah. Uh, it, it affects you what your uh, scholarship opportunities are. That's true. That's, your see, coaching yeah, salaries. I didn't think about that. Right. Um, your, your small programs that have to travel a lot, and do those get – do you put those on hold? Do you say, hey, look, we're only going to do certain tournaments? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's hard. See, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like with tur- – that's a great point you bring up. Like, what do you just say because we don't want Utah State to travel all the way across the country to Myrtle Beach to play in that South, in that tournament in South Carolina? Do you say, you know what, forget it. We're just going to keep you guys here. We'll find regional games for you guys as part of that tournament to make up for it. Yeah, instead that's, of going that's there. That's a great point. Instead of going there, maybe you stay in Logan and you play Southern Utah. You know what, It's uh, we miss out on the the, the RPI Improvements oh, man. of playing it's that, huge. but we save a lot of money in travel. Part of that RPI, by the way, is is you're I mean, you're looking at Dayton as a maybe game, Pitt, Nebraska, Missouri, and you can't play those guys, and so it does. It affects your RPI big time. So then you go from that, and no disrespect to Southern Utah. But you're playing Southern Utah, and that's not an RPI uh boomer like Missouri, like Nebraska, like Dayton is. By the way, uh, speaking of the net ranking, yes. the NCAA day, NCAA did announce today they're refining that a little bit. Uh, they had like five different components, and they've trimmed it down to two. So what it's two a, are what they? they call the team value index, which is based on results. Um, if you beat quality teams, that you know, gives you more strength. And the other one is adjusted net efficiency rating, and that's basically your your strength of opponent. Location, location for all games played. Hmm. The strength of schedule apparently has also been modernized a little bit. So, hmm. by the way. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming back, parts seven and eight of The Last Dance aired last night. Uh, good stuff, Eric. Yeah, and uh, Las Vegas has already put out their betting lines for who they think is going to win the Mountain West in football. San Jose State. You're what kind win of confidence the do they have in Utah State? Or in San Jose State. They're close, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Coming up. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 1069 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and RJ Salvis at 106 on FM, 1390 AM and 1069thefan.com. Thanks for joining us on a Monday afternoon. Hey, Def- RJ. Yes. We got a peek at the some of the streaming numbers here oh, in we the did? building. Oh, okay. Like, how many people access the 1069 The Fan online stream? And? We're trending upwards. Shut the front we've door. Been, we've been making some major inroads here in the building. What? Yeah. We are? Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. We are, uh, yeah, we... No longer a bottom tier station. I'll just we are no it. longer the doorman of yeah. Cash Valley <laughs> Media Crew. Yeah. I was kind of oh, surprising cool. to see some of those numbers and hey, how well, we compare it at those other stations. A big thank you to all you who have listened, like especially during this COVID nineteen. I know it hasn't been easy for you. I just want you to know it has not been easy for us. When we get through it, and we will, and we'll have baseball, basketball, and football all at the same time. Like you're going to be drinking out of a fire hose, coming with the information that we got for you, interviews. 
everything, and it's going to be coming hot. So thanks for sticking with us. You will be rewarded, I promise, at some point in the future uh, with a lot of sports. Yeah, but really big big time, as you said, big time thanks for those who are oh, hanging huge. with us and yeah, tuning in. And absolutely. Making it fun. We appreciate it. Uh, Eric, Utah State uh, and the Mount West, I guess Las Vegas is kind of getting in on the fun. Mount West football coming up. Uh, where does uh, Utah State stand? Las Vegas Superbook put out their odds to win the Mountain West. And I'll be honest, I don't fully understand how these odds really work. I'm not a sports betting person. Uh, New Mexico and UNLV, 300 to 1 odds to win. So they're at the very bottom. They're tied for dead last. Um, I'm going to work my way. Well, I'm going to go through everybody. But um, uh, who, who, so those are the dead, the bottom. Who would you think is number one? Uh, it's going to be San Diego State. Wrong. New Mexico? No, I just said New Mexico's dead last. Oh. They have the farthest chance of, of, of winning the Mountain West title in football. Yeah, that's not going to be true. Oh, wait, in football. I'm talking football. Dude, I'm talking, thinking football. basketball. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Okay, so it's not saying we say Reset. So, Boise okay, State. Reset. You, New Mexico and UNLV, bottom of the barrel for football in the Mountain West. Okay, so I'm going to say uh, Boise State. Boise State's number one. Yeah, interesting. New Mexico and UNLV both have new head coaches, but not number, giving a lot of respect for them. Number two is going to be either San Diego State or Nevada. Uh, Air Force. That Air Force sense. number two. San Diego State number three. Number four is a tie. Oh, this isn't going well for us. Fresno State and Hawaii. Oh, this isn't going well for us at all. Next is another tie. Nevada and Wyoming. Followed by Colorado State. Followed by Utah State. So that puts Not a lot of confidence in the Aggies going into 2020. What number does that put us at? Um, what is that? Uh, ninth, basically. That's wonderful. San Jose State, New Mexico, and UNLV trail the Aggies. That's just freaking awesome. I don't even know what to say. To that. that sucks. Uh, you know, there's a new quarterback. There's questions at uh, several different uh, position, key positions. There's a new offensive coordinator. I I could see that there could be some doubt. An uncertainty about Utah State, but to put them that low, that surprises me. That's kind of embarrassing, to be honest. I don't <laughs> think Utah State's going to compete for the uh, Mountain West title, but I do think they're going to be competitive. I think they'll, yeah, I think they'll do better. A lot of those teams ahead of them. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I, hmm, yeah, wow, okay, I, I, I think you, I think Utah State football finishes above. What's his bucket? Uh, Wyoming. For those who understand the betting lines, uh, fifty to one odds that Utah State wins the Mountain West. Did you watch any of the uh, Last Dance last night? I know you've been you've been able to watch them recorded because you've been you get late to them. Is that was that the case last uh, night? Yeah, with Mother's Day, we're doing some things. We did a little family movie night out on the porch, and uh, we didn't get to see the Last Dance. So oh. got them recorded. I'll be watching them this week. Okay, so through the first eight episodes so far, Eric, MJ's only got emotional once. Once. And it was last night. In an episode where they talked about his father being murdered, 
the the fact that people were pegging MJ as the reason his father was murdered, that he was the reason he that his gambling addiction was the reason why he decided to leave the game of basketball by suspension, which was all incredibly false. MJ got emotional about none of those things. It was about who he is as a teammate that got him choked up. Listen to this. When people see this, they're going to say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Oh, well, that's you because you never wanted anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. That's how they closed episode seven. Michael Jordan getting emotional because of the critic that he received harsh criticism about being the guy that he was as a player from his teammates. In fact, you hear from uh, Will Perdue, it calls him an explicative, uh, or expletive, whatever that word is. You hear from (laughs) other guys, by the way, just how big of an absolute jerk of a teammate he was. But he goes on to say, because I wanted it that badly, and if you couldn't get up to my level, if you couldn't be at my level, as he said, don't play with me. Yeah, tough because he was he was so unlike so many other players. Oh my goodness, in the was he ever? Uh, and he he wanted you to be at his level. And for as we've seen, it's near impossible to be at Michael Jordan's level. Which is exactly what two players said last night. They said you can't get to that level. You can try. You can play. You can practice as hard as he does. You can't get there because Michael always gets a little bit more. On but you know what? Because of that, he helped drag a lot of guys to NBA titles and rings on their fingers. Eric France and Audrey South, and thanks for listening to the Full Court Press. We'll see you tomorrow on a Tuesday evening. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. UFC did what it promised it would do Saturday night, delivering a live sporting event after almost two months of nothing. For MMA fans, the card delivered in a big way. But I'm not sure it was exactly a return to normal. At least it didn't sound like it. Since there were no fans, you could hear everything. The vicious hits, the grunts, the announcers talking off mic. Afterwards, fighters said they could hear Daniel Cormier's commentary, and multiple fighters used his advice during the fight to their advantage. Sounds silly, but this could be an issue in several sports. Football coaches are paranoid about lip readers. How will they handle their voices echoing around an empty stadium? Or how about bad language on a basketball court? It's weird not hearing cheering, but as sports fans, we'll take it if it means a return to some form of action. It seems games without fans are inevitable. Everyone will have to adjust to a new acoustic reality and some unexpected things we'll see and hear when sports eventually returns. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.